Appreciate y'all tuning in to another episode of the Bliss is Ignorant podcast, man. I'm Jay Bliss. And this week, man, I am uh, I'm honored, actually, to have, uh, I, I guess, man, an OG. You know what I mean? I know it's, it sounds strange, you know, because it seemed like yesterday, maybe, you probably started doing this thing. But I'm going to have to say OG. And when I say OG, I'm going to say OG to the light of uh, even before I had the idea of stepping on stage, I saw you on TV all the time. Like anything that was TV related, you guarantee you Damon Williams was going to be in the building, right? So um, Damon Williams, welcome to the Bliss is Ignorant podcast, man. What's good with you, man? Man, feeling blissful, brother. Glad to be here. Finally. No, 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 no. <laughs> we, had, we had a little scheduling conflict, man, but I understand that you know things happen and things get busy, but I do appreciate you actually just taking the time to be able to chop it up with me for a little bit. And, um, you know, when I say OG, I mean, some people kind of sometimes take offense to it. But I think um, in a comedy game, I think when you hear OG, man, it's like the utmost respect for somebody that, you know, when we talk about the path that it takes to be able to hit the stages. We in a new era now. We have like the social media frenzy and it's easy to develop your market and actually sell out a room uh, based off of things you do online before you ever even hit the stage. But knowing that grind knowing what it takes, knowing them shit shows that you got to do <laughs> to be able to, and the years to be able to do all of that. It, it, like, it ain't like it don't happen after you did a certain amount of years. You can get shit shows even today, you know what I mean? But it's like when you put all that work in and, and you see yourself and go, man, this, this cat been doing it for a minute, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's just like, a, it's a good thing um, because sometimes this game changes a lot of our, our uh, OGs in the, in the evil old men. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of cats that develop that bitter streak, man. Um, yeah. and, and I guess rightfully so, depending on what you got in the game for, right, right. what you expected from it and, and what, your, um, what your, your comfort level is. So for me, you know, I, when the young guns, you know, call me OG, I, I take it, you know, unless it's like too many OGs, like it's like, okay, the OG is hitting like, ain't that right, OG? Hey, OG, it's all right, we get it, I'm the OG. But uh, right. I ain't the old G, but I am, you know, so right. if you right. take a foot to it, I mean, anytime somebody was, you know, 12, 11, 10 watching you on TV and then they 30 and you still doing it, you are old to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah I, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I uh, like I said, it was always a good thing to see. Um, and then like being from the area that you're from, the, as many comedic beasts come out of Chicago, the Chicago area. Um, it's just one of those highlighted areas. I mean, everybody talks about the people that lived and moved to New York and the people that went to LA and everything like that. But Chicago in its own right is just a, a stomping ground or, or just basically a, a culture in itself to be like, yo, you came out of Chicago? Uh, yeah. yeah, like, yo, this guy, this guy gotta have some chops. You know what Absolutely. I mean? It's like, it's gotta be funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, so. yeah, like they say, metal sharpens metal. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we, if you want to stage time and not even, you might get the stage time, but you don't want to go up there after, you know, like when I was coming up, I open mic would have Dion Cole, D-Ray Davis, Corey Holcomb, uh, Tony Schofield, George Wilborn, Dale Gibbons was the host when I first yeah. started of open mic. So, yeah. you know, and you know, chances are Bernie might pop in. Yeah. And, and when Bernie pop in, he go up when he want to go up, you know, we talking about back in the day. So, Everybody was like, you about to put Bernie up first? He, he said he want to go up now. He going up now. Follow that. You know what I'm saying? 
Or don't or don't go up. Or don't go up. Yeah, that's, that's the part. Yeah, that's the part. That's the part about it. It's like um, it's it's the it's the nervousness. But you know, we all it's like a drug. We all want to get on that stage. We all want to be up there. And you know, if, if Bernie burned down the room, yeah, you might not want to be that next cat to go up there. But guess what? That that room's still there. That mic is exactly. still there. And it's like it's like yo, yeah, I'll, I'll go up there. You know what I mean? And it's, it's so funny uh, when you say like iron sharp is iron um, because sometimes you being in a, an environment where you see so many people doing such a good job, it makes you want to be better. Like it, it makes you throw away any whack thing you thought about doing on stage. You know what I mean? You're like, man, I ain't going to do that. They're going to clown me if I go up there and do some stupid stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, there are times now when you can have a, a hot feature open for you mm-hmm. and make you say, okay, um, let me uh, just scroll through my notes right quick because I was just gonna come up here. You know, I know I got it. I'm gonna do it. But every once in a while, you get that cat that you know, or a local. A lot of times, I'll tell this story. A local will know some things about that city that you know that everybody could relate to, and it just it, it blow up. Like it might be, look at this dude's suit. He got that suit from Jimmy's. When you and then he'll sing the commercial thing song. When you right. wanna get sharp, go to Jimmy's, and everybody be like, go to Jimmy, and you don't know none of this. Right. Like, what the hell is Jimmy's? You know what I'm saying? Right, so, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's best to always, I always tell guys, even if you're a headliner or whatever, show up and watch the openers because you never know what you missed. And you might be able to come in and say, man, dude, do look like he shopped at Jimmy's. Go to J-, and ride that wave. Ride that wave. Ride the wave. That's the part that a lot of people don't get. Um, you know, but they get that intimidation. You know, uh, I've been I've been doing comedy for uh, 15 years. So like I've been in situations where I was in a headliner situation and the feature went up and, and killed the room. And, yeah. and it's like, you can, you can sink or swim. So, you know, a veteran will be able to be like, all right, let me ride this wave, man. Let's do the damn, lit the damn stage up. You know what I mean? But get that dude props when he lead. Like, yo, y'all give it up one more time for this motherfucker, right? Here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right, like, yeah. <laughs> no, yo, don't get up there and just start talking. I'm like, dude, don't ignore the fact that this dude just tore that joint down. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, to be honest, if you're on a show like that, it's really the host's job to temper mm-hmm. the room. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So if you got a good host in that circumstance, he should take that heat and, and you know, kind of reset the room for the headline. But I'm the type where I want you to kill before me. That means I mm-hmm. now I gotta come and I can't come in soft shoeing. You're hey, how's everybody? No, you gotta come in bang, bang, bang out the gate because you know you want that energy to be there. But on the same token, for comics around the country, if you open it for somebody or you feature somebody, you wanna do your best, you wanna shine, you wanna be funny, but you still gotta defer to an extent to the headliner because Absolutely. it's not a, it's not always about you. And and, and 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 of course, you never wanna misrepresent your craft and underplay yourself, but you also want to work with that guy again. So if you come in and, and your, your goal is to try to destroy the headliner, you may never work with that headliner or any headliner, you know? Well, you know, the professionalism part of it is um it is, is key. You know, it's like, you always want to make sure you profess, you always want to make sure you stick to your time. And the show ain't about you. You know, <clears throat> this headliner earned his right, the headline the room. Now, if this headliner was talking trash to you or, he was downplaying you, whatever. You got a vendetta. Hey, do you, man. If you don't plan on working with that dude again, do, do you. But then at the same time, it's like, who are you Who are you really hurting in that situation? You're going to hurt yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? You're gonna hurt well, yourself. as long as you, as long as you are, 
you know, you don't underplay yourself either. You know, I mean, you want to do your best. You want to shine. You want people to leave and say, man, the guy came to see was funny. But that other guy was funny, too. Right. So it's, right. it's a it's a it's a, fair, a balance you got to create. But but yeah. never, uh, you know, dim your light for somebody else, because to be honest, if you're on the show, it is also about you as well, because your position is to set the table. So, mm. you know, I've been in those positions. Like when I was with the Kings of Comedy, anytime I told a joke that any one of them had to come back and say, well, like Damon said earlier, I'll pull that out my set the next time we do the show, because I don't want them to have to reiterate. That means I'm stepping on their toes. And that show was not about me. I was there basically as support. So it depends on your role. But if you're on the flyer and it's big picture dude, but it's a picture of you that's right there, Hey, do your thing because you want to make your way and want them people to make come see you when you the, the, big, the big picture. So, yeah. So it's about, yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, the, the Kings of Comedy tour. And I remember that vividly. I, I wasn't even thinking about doing comedy then. I do remember going. I was uh I was at I was at Charlotte. I was in Charlotte, uh yeah. living in Charlotte at the time. I still live here now, but during that time, I remember taking a date to that taping. Like so Charlotte was the room was where, where the movie was made and everything. So yeah. during that time, uh, what was it like to get that call? First of all, because I like I couldn't even imagine being like, "What I get to do what?" Like, <laughs> so, so getting that call, number one, and then number two, when you talk about uh, the set that you were doing and stepping on jokes, like how much time were you getting at the time? Well, okay, first of all, the call came. Uh, it was more like uh, we'll try you out because the promoter didn't know me or claim not to know me because that's how they do you so they don't have to pay you right. uh, or pay you what you, you probably should get. But that was an opportunity that I would have done for free. I matter, matter of fact, I might have paid to be on that tour. So anytime you hear somebody saying about what I got off this tour and blah, 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 what the people don't know is I did pretty well financially off the tour. I bought a house after the Kings of Comedy Tour, uh, mm-hmm. but I was support. Uh, and it came because uh, D.L. Hughley had a manager named Alvin Morris and Alvin they all I, I knew all four of the Kings prior to that because I worked in Chicago I was the host of the open mic at all jokes aside which was the premier black owned comedy club in the country right. so they all had come through there you know I've worked with all of them before either on, 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 on club level or even on theater shows because as the Kings were coming together it was based on the fact that you know Bernie might do a 1500 seater Sid might be able to do a 1500 seater Steve but they like you put these together now you got 10,000 yeah. so so when they added uh, opening act, what the plan was for the tour was to have a, a local comedian each city open the show so that Steve wouldn't have to come out to a cold house because Steve was initially the headliner. They added DL, moved Steve to host, but as, as Steve being Steve, he like, I ain't going out first. So they wanted somebody to do it, but they couldn't find consistent guys. So the uh, promoter said, well, I'm come to Detroit, do the Detroit date. It was two shows at the Joe Lewis Arena, you know, where the, you know, big old arena. He yeah. said, if this go well, he said, I, I, I might let you do Chicago. So now I'm geeked because I want to be able to perform at the United Center. That's all I wanted out of this. You know, yeah, do, the, yeah. do the first day, do the United Center. So um, it turned out that he said that was a great job. They had another guy they liked a lot, Mike Britt, out of New York. So they had about 30 dates left at the time. They were like, we're going to split the tour between the two of y'all. We can't find consistent locals that, you know, fit the bill. So I do my thing. They say, okay, you got it. Me and Mike. But then Mike had some type of clash with the promoter. Uh, it might have been about dressing up. I don't know what it was. I ain't going to speak for that brother. But something happened where he got bumped, and uh, I ended up doing the whole tour. That's so that dope. is how it happened, and that's the call. Uh, and to see somebody send you, uh, you know, as a comic, you know, it's sporadic. We don't know what our calendar going to look like. But right. somebody say, you about to be working 
from 99 into this part of 2000. Yeah. You know, at this rate, you guaranteed this money. It's time to look for a house, period. You know, yeah. I was ready to go. So yeah. um, that was cool. But then the set was, it was basically, it started out with a seven minute open mm-hmm. and a seven minute after uh, intermission. So two, okay. it's like two guest spots, you know. Right, but right. But Steve, being Steve, was like, look, man, I know they got a clock on you because we had a countdown clock. You know, they'll, they'll start the clock. Uh, Steve said, look, I know they got you on the clock, but here's what we going to do, me and you. This is our arrangement. If you don't see me standing there, that means I ain't ready to go up. So damn that clock. If I ain't standing there, you keep going. Yeah. And so depending on what market it was, you know, like if it's L.A., New York, D.C., Chicago, Steve wanted to be hot in there. He don't want people yeah. still coming to the seats. So seven minutes after start time is not, you know, enough time. So there were times, man, like in L.A. at the Forum uh, where the Lakers used to play, 20 minutes on the top. I did a 20, and then Steve do a wardrobe change after the first two comics. So that's when I go back out, another 15, you know. Yeah. And, and now, I'm, now I'm past my little set that I got prepared. Now I'm freestyling, I'm crowd working. I'm getting my shine, and I'm on the jumble jumbotron, you know. So yeah, I, yeah. Made my, I made my name for a lot of places in those cities like that. So it was great, man. It was a great experience. Uh, I saw, like, like Martin Luther King said, I've been to the mountaintop. I see what it's like when you got, you know, first class flights and Ritz Carlton uh, lodging and all that. And I traveled with them. I had the same flights, same hotels. Um, they all had. When you see in a movie when they all in the same limbo on the radio station, never ever happened. Never. Right, right. Each one of them had a stretch. And so they all had their own stretch limos. So we pull up, we land at the airport. There's four stretches out front. And I would just jump in with whoever, you know, I was cool with or whoever had room. Well, for the shows, it got to the point where since I had to be there first and I'm riding with other comedians, the, the crew was like, you know, from a production standpoint, dude got to be here. He needs to have his own car. So the promoter chipped in for the car, but he gave me a town car. So they had a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I had a talk. They had overnight, you know, to a club close. I had midnight, so it was like some Cinderella shit. Right, but, uh, <laughs> right, right. right. I took, you know, I took my car to the theater, and then I ride my car to the the party. And if it was time for my car to be released, I just jump in one of the kings. So it was a cool, beautiful experience. And, and you know, that, and, and looking at it, man, it's hard to say. You got OG. That was ninety nine, two thousand. We talking twenty twenty one years. Ago. Twenty years ago, man, and 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 that's amazing. But like I said, like. I think about that now, like I just think about, I just think about when you get asked to do certain things, like when you get asked to do special events. Like I remember I got, I missed opening up for Chappelle by uh, by happenstance. Like <laughs> my name was top on a list. Another comedian walked in the room at the time they were about to call me. Wow. And it was like, and I remember when, when, he, when a comedian who lives in the same city as me posted like, guess who opened up for Chappelle? I called the bookers like, what the fuck? And they was like, yeah. yo, Bliss, we were just about to call you. And I'm like, whatever. They was like, yo, Burt walked in. I'm like, what? I was mad as hell. But I was happy for the brother because I'm like, yo, man, do your thing. You know what I mean? But right. like like certain things just happen. And you're just like, man. But I remember being able to open up for Sinbad. Mm. And to be able to, for him to not know who I am, for me to be honored to be even, for the people even to say, yes, we want you to open for him. For me to do my set and then for me him to call me over to where he was as a for introduction like yo that was dope like right, that was right. good i loved your energy they like yo time is on yo sinbad you up like we got to announce he like yo wait i'm talking 
I was like, damn. Like, I was, like, like these people waiting, you know what I mean? But I'm sitting there like, yo, I was, that was like huge to me. You know what I mean? Like, it was like one no, of those things or whatever. That's a, that's a legend. And he's such a nice dude, man. And prayers up for him because he's in recovery from a, from a, stroke, a serious yeah. stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I keep in touch with the family and check on them and stuff. Actually, we did a Sinbad. I did a, a tribute day on on a, on social media, across social media, Sinbad Saturday. And yeah. all the comedians, once they found out about Arsenio, Eddie Griffin, Sid, DL, they all posted Sinbad Saturday stuff. And I was glad to be able to do that for him because many times I opened for Sinbad based on him, you know, saying, I'm coming to Chicago. Are you open? You know, can you do it? Because I knew him. Uh, yeah. My first big break on TV came from his brother. Uh, it was a show called Comic Justice on Comedy Central. Yeah. And Sinbad's brother was executive producer. And, and that's how I really got in touch with Sinbad, even though he was real close with my cousin, George Woodmore. So uh, a, a sad story, man. And it was sad that it happened. But uh, I was on the show. The last time I opened him was here in Chicago, Chicago Theater. Now, mind you, this ain't what, maybe four or five years ago. So I'm not doing opening acts for people like that. But I, he's in town. I was off. I'm like, yeah, I want to do it. You know, kicking with my guy. Yeah. So I do the show. Uh, and while he's on stage, I'm backstage kicking with the family, and his whole family was there, like extended family, because they from Michigan and it was in Chicago. So they all came out for it. It was Valentine's weekend or something like that. So they all came. And while he was on stage, his father passed away. Oh. Yeah. So he had this part of the show at the end of the show where he was you know, calling the family. He's like, My whole family back there, y'all come on out. And nobody would come because they couldn't because they were all crying. Yeah. So the reason why I'm telling the story is. When he came off stage, they told him his father passed away. Now I'm standing there and I work, but I hadn't gotten paid yet. But right. there's no way I'm going to ask nobody back here because it was, it was either ask Sinbad or his brother. Both their father just passed away. What about my money? I didn't ask. I just left. You know, you can't. You know, both of them. So I left and I wasn't even concerned about it. I was sad for them and I saw the emotion they were going through and I just left. But I, I, I needed that money. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because you know, I had a situation where my, my wife had got pulled over and she have a license on it. So they told the car and they right. were holding her until somebody brought the license in. You know, so it was like, a, it was a major situation as far as that was concerned. But here's the heart of that brother Sinbad. This is why, another reason why I love him. Um, 20, 30 minutes after I had left, like my phone rang and it's Sinbad, not his brother, not his road manager, not the white people that travel with him. It's Sinbad. He said, hey brother, uh, I realized I asked everybody, did you get paid? And they told me, you didn't get your money. I'm like, no, nah, but you know, y'all, you know, y'all grieve and do your thing. I said, no, nah, come on back. We stand, blah, blah, blah. Drove back to the hotel. He had me come in the suite with the family, paid my money. We sit there, you know, we did a little thing and I got out the way. But that man thought about me not getting yeah. paid. In yeah. the midst of his sorrow, of just found out his father died. Yeah. So that is the greatest. That's amazing, man. Like, that's, that's amazing. Like, that, uh, that his mind even went there. Period. That you know is, what I mean? That's what I'm trying to tell you, you know. But he a comic, you know, so he like, hey, <laughs> the work, and I know if I didn't get my money, you know, yeah, sorry for your loss, but what up with so, my kids? Yeah, and then, like think about it though. It's like uh, you know, money is very important, but the love of what we do is also important. But that's all all of us have done this. We've all done gigs and walked up out of there and forgot forgot to get our money. And we be like, yo, I ain't even, I, ain't, I forgot to get my, and it's not that you, I mean, sometimes you be like, yo, give me my money. Sometimes, man, you just be, the, the show be so dope. You be like, yo, man, right. I'm all at y'all. They be like, yo, you get paid? You be like, oh, shit, I forgot. I get exactly. paid. I you know what I mean? So like, <laughs> that is, but that's, that's the love, man. That's the love of, uh, of this thing. It's like, I do appreciate it when I do do shows for comedians because they, 
most comedians do understand the grind. They're going to make sure you got your money. They're going to make sure your, your, your amenities is right. The promoter shows is the one where you just be like, this is going to be a bunch of crap. I want to get my money. Yeah. Up. You know what I mean? You got, you got a deposit or something. You know what I mean? So it's like you got to deal with the, the, uh, the everyday of that. Um, I was looking at your bio online and was talking about uh, – you good? You good with time? Like you, you good? You got something to do? Yeah, no, nah, we. My our dog is in here. She in heat. She over here pumping the stuff. Animals. Oh, okay. okay. And I'm hoping you don't hear that. <laughs> oh, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. All right, cool. I'll use that for commercial though. All right, let's so, so so we got um um. I was looking at the the your, uh, bio and it was like it was weird to me because I just I, I look at the uh, the other stuff other than comedy. So it was like. You know, you was a corporate America. You owned a subway at one time, which was crazy. I was like, "Yo, what? Like, <laughs> you owned a subway? It wasn't the subway that Ju Ju uh, Juicy Smollett was using, was it? <laughs> was it that uh, subway? <laughs> no, because no, that subway don't exist. Okay, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, so what, tell me what that's like. First of all, like, Hold just, on, let me show you this. Oh, this is a commercial. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Snap, she, she ain't gonna do it now. She's like, nah. She is smashing this stuffed animal, dog. <laughs> they, did the joke, they did the frog from, from Bugs Bunny, you know, with the joke be talking. Then obviously, people with the camera on it, they're like, nah, I don't wanna do that. Exactly. That's funny. That's funny. Um, tell me what that was like, first of all. Because, I mean, uh, owning a business at that, and you were young, actually, yeah. it happened. Um, so that actually own a, a sandwich shop or subway of all places um what was that even like well it was it was like a goal of mine man from from elementary school to be my own boss i always Word. wanted to say i didn't want to work for nobody that's of course that's how i ended up being a comedian um but i also had some um some street ties you know what i mean where i was you know doing my thing out here and i wanted to get legit i wanted to you know get out the game and that's why i was really doing that so i could get to that Not level, game, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, so it was my exit strategy and it was also my purpose. But uh, at 25 years old, downtown Chicago, uh, only black franchisee. Uh, it was great. And, and only thing was, it was Jared, you know, Jared really made, put that, that franchise on the map when he lost all that weight and then it became, Subway became eat fresh and, and about dietary you know, before they was trying to compete with, you know, subs, but then right. it became a fresh alternative for fast food. Uh, mind you, if his fat, freaky, pedophile ass had lost that weight <laughs> earlier, <laughs> I might still have a subway. But right. I hadn't even heard of subway because I opened that store in 1990. Right. And uh, yeah, and it was open from 90 to 92. But great things came from it. Uh, that's where I met my son's mother. And that's how my son was. had do not disturb on. Okay. I don't know why any yeah I don't know why anybody would call you twice. If you call somebody once and then go to the voicemail text. Yeah right comment. right look and I want I, I thought my do not disturb was on but anyway so uh a lot of good things came from that that's how I found out where all jokes aside was an open mic and that's why I ended up doing stand up because of that subway. So God had a plan you know he got me out the streets he got my son born and then he led me to comedy all through that subway. All through that one process. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Like, because like I'm thinking you were maybe doing it at the same time. But no, so that was beforehand. Comedy came after. And then it was yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I wasn't making any money. I was going into debt. And I sold the franchise. 
And so I had time on my hands and I uh, went over to All Jokes aside, did the open mic six months later, Sinbad and his brother came to All Jokes to film that show with AJ Jamal, his host, Comic Justice. So now I got my first TV hit. And uh, wow. I'm a, yeah, I'm a professional comedian that's in six months in. Uh, maybe that was in 93, I think I did that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 94, I got Comic View. And uh, yeah. the first time, and that's when it was a competition. Said was the host. He had just won the previous year for his special, and uh, I didn't win. I lost. Uh, I don't even know who who they gave it to, but it was everybody thought I should have won. To be honest, I ain't just saying that. Michael yeah, yeah. Collier was irate. He was like, "This is bull!" You know, they robbed him. Blah blah blah. But I was just happy to be on TV. You know, right, right. And it got me my shine, and it got me some work for the colleges. Went from that. Uh, then I went back. I skipped the previous, the next year, and I went back in '96, and I won. Yeah. And, uh, and once I won, I got the hour special, and then they started clipping my special into all the best of shows. And you know, I became a working comic, and I did NACA. Uh, I started doing college gigs, and I was off to the races. Yeah, and that and that's like I said, I, I remember like the whole Comic View thing. See you on it, like Dep Jam, like all the things that were TV related. It was like, oh yeah, you. If we got a you got a cat coming out of Chicago, like they must be talking about Damon Williams. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like he was gonna Suited be out and, there. Suited and booted the whole right. time. Right. Every time, man. And it was it's funny, like when I I remember when I first started, I started in 2005. I remember like you see cats come to open mics with suits on. I'd be like, what you doing, man? Like, yo, you're not a you're not a comedian yet. Chill. You know what I mean? Like, take the three-piece off. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, they come in there, they trying to look like the people they see on TV all the time, which was crazy. Yeah. And I was like, nah. And I, I've never, I've never been the suit person on stage because it's just not comfortable for me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like people always be like, man, you get older, man. You need to put that suit on. I got dude, listen, I stand still. I don't do no whole bunch of moving around, man. My jokes is my jokes, and I let them stand on their own. You know, and if I'm yeah. working with somebody and they go, yo, I, I require a comedian to have a suit. That's a whole different conversation. You know what I mean? And that was that was the issue for the brother that got booted off the, uh, right. the tour. He right. basically kept showing up with baseball jerseys. That was the jersey era. Right, you know, so right. He was rocking jerseys. And he's like, I like you just said, I ain't comfortable in the suit. I'm going to do me. And they're like, well, do you at the crib? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I felt for him because he's a funny dude. He's a good dude. He went on to do big things. He ended up with a Comedy Central special. If y'all don't know Mike B, Mike Britt, uh, uh-huh. very funny dude. Very, very yeah. funny dude. But it just wasn't in the stars for him to stay on the tour. Not, because... not for that one. Yeah. 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 So, so but, go ahead. But, you know, you got to dress the part. Sometimes you can't even yeah. knock a person. If, if that's your stick, you know, if that's your thing, being dressed, you know, then do you. But you got to be comfortable. So you got to have your comfort level. And then uh, for me now, I, I'm the reverse of the dressed up. Now I'm super casual because people got so used to seeing me in that way that, you know, it kind of hampers some things. Because I had, I remember this guy was doing an independent film and he it was a gangster movie, you know, like some street gangster stuff. And um, he wanted to uh, cast me as the lawyer. And I'm like, fool, I'm the one been out in these streets. Did you got these? <laughs> <laughs> Lame I'm the one that moved these things and you know ended up going corporate from my street level. And he like, oh, he said your suit wearing ass. You ain't no. I'm like, man, I want to snap so in yeah, yeah. a lot of times. So I, I think it kind of uh, I miss. I might have. I can't say I missed because I don't know because I don't. You know, it wasn't presented. But I know it probably people had that same mentality about certain opportunities. You know, we talking the hip hop era, and I did that uh, uh, purposely because that was Def Jam was really hot. And everybody was wearing the baggy and the cross color and all that. So I wanted to set myself apart from that. And since I remember uh, before I had my subway, I worked at City Hall 
And I remember whenever you had on a suit, people gave you more respect, more clout. Absolutely. So you could, to this day, if you go to a restaurant or an office building and you see a guy in a suit, if you got a question, you're going to ask that guy because you feel like he's an authority and that he knows. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Absolutely. And that suit can get you indoors that some places you can't get in. In fact, I'm going to tell you all some game. If you have a suit and a clipboard, you might not even have to pay to get in a concert. <laughs> <laughs> you walk up suited with a clipboard and look like you're busy. You can walk right past the ushers because they think you must be the GM or the promoter. Or that is hilarious, man. That is you got a clipboard and a suit. Trust me when I tell you, nobody's going to question the guy with the clipboard and the suit. That is hilarious. Hey, I, you know what, man? You did peep some game on that way. And, and let me let me ask you this, like, because. Uh, I know when I was in college, man, like we had like every Wednesday, you was a business major, you had to wear a suit. Like you had to wear a suit. You was graded on it. And they were like, why we got to wear a suit every Wednesday, man? This might be raining out. Of hey, put the suit on. The professors be like, look, <clears throat> when it's time you go to work, we don't want you being uncomfortable at work. Right. Yeah, you don't want to be awkward. You don't want to be awkward. Stand there messing with your collar all day because people because you're not right. used to wearing it. You know what I mean? So, exactly. you know, it makes sense. Yeah. Um. I, one, one of my favorite jokes that you tell, one of my favorite jokes that you tell, and I swear to gosh, I, I laugh because it hits home for me. And I want to know if it hits home for you, if it was if it's somewhat true. The joke you tell about taking the special needs kids bowling. <laughs> and when you take them skating and, and, and they're going around, he's like, man, if y'all don't put y'all skates on, like I, I laugh yeah. every time. Yeah, that, that joke <laughs> is classic, man. That that joke should be in the Smithsonian because <laughs> Ricky Smiley will not let that joke die. He talks about it on his show all the time because his boy Rock T, they yeah. love that joke. Man, um, that, that joke had me literally crying and i'm gonna tell you why in a minute but go ahead with the story behind like the joke and how it came about well it's, it's twofold because initially i thought of it hypothetically because i was going into a bowling alley mm -hmm. or a skating ring no it's probably the bowling alley and it was they had handicapped parking right 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 so i'm like but it was i changed it to skating but i saw it at a bowling alley and I'm well, like, you do the bowling first. Yeah, you do the bowling yeah. thing first when he was throwing right. it down the thing. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, on the long lane and all that. Um, but I, um, I thought about, you know, just, you know how comics, how your mind works. Like, the hell, they got a handicapped parking place. Who in there skating handicapped? You know, it's right. a skating. Right, you know, so right. You, hey, so what, this is a waste. They could park in the back. You know, they had a wheelchair. You know, they, they get a ride to the store and all that. So it was hypothetical. But I do have a nephew that special needs. And uh -huh. I thought about, you know, actually, if we were to take him skating, you know what I'm saying? And he's not, he's, he has mental capacity. He's physically disabled. Uh, right. So the combination of all those factors and then imagination put it together. But oh. I'll tell you what made the joke, uh, it, what elevated the joke. I was doing Left Palooza in Atlanta. Yeah. And it was, it was uh, the first time I did it. And it was this yeah. was when it was at Civic. And Jamie Foxx was the host. And <laughs> the joke requires me to skate in a circle. Yeah. You know, disfigure. Yeah, and I used to only do it one time and say, "Who in there skating?" Like, ain't nobody in there skating. Like, I go around one, but the stage was so big. By the time I went around the one circle, the people were kind of moaning, but then they started laughing after I did that one circle. So right. Jamie was in the wing. He said, "Keep going." Yeah. So when I went around again, the laugh got bigger. I went around the third time. Because you know it's a, it's a despicable joke initially. Listen, like, man, it was so uncomfortable. It was so uncomfortable. So by the third time, you ain't you ain't feeling bad for the handicap person. You just laughing at the visual, 
And then by the fourth circle, it's hurting. It's, it's, it, it creates pain. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so classic. It's so classic because we all have those those room turning jokes, right? We all had those room turning jokes. And I think you close. I think you closed or something with it, but it was just like it was just like the kids. They keep going, and I was like, "This dude is going to hell," but we all going with him because this joke is so funny. And then when you stop, when you go through the thing, and they going around and around and around, and you like, man, if y'all don't put y'all skates on and stop playing. Dude, what? I lost it. I said, man, I lost it. And I said, it's, per- it's a perfect joke with, with uh, and I, I remember talking to Dominique one time, and I told Dominique, she had one joke that she did where she was talking about America's Most Wanted, and she was sitting on the couch, and the dude was sitting there on the TV. She did the whole joke without saying nothing. And I said, that's part of one. Like, the movement. It's like, dude, yeah. yeah. Dude, you're killing me. Stop, please. And you're not saying anything. You know what I'm saying? It's like, just yep. stop. But I'm going to tell you why I hit home. Because growing up, that's what my mom did. My mom took care of special needs kids, but they lived with us. Wow. So us taking them out was always a thing. Like, we were like, yo, come on, yo. Like, oh, yo, you wildin'. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I was, I was the, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the youngest son. I'm the wild one. I'm the one that antagonized. Like, yo, I get them all amped up in the restaurant. My mom be like, would you stop it? I'd be like, I'm just saying, like, he like bread, so I'm gonna give him some more bread. Yo, he like, like you know what I'm saying? I'm like, you want some bread? Like, yeah, bread. I'd be like, yo, say some, say bread again. You know what I mean? Like, like, like it, it would be like one of those things. But I, it, the crazy thing about it was, as wild as I was and as silly as I was, I love them kids, man. Like, I mean, they were just part of me. I went to college because of them. Like, that, that was like how my mom afforded me to even go to school. But when my boys was coming over the house, I'd be like, look now, y'all gonna see some wild shit when y'all come up in this house. And get your face together, get your little right. giggles out. Don't be in here clowning while my mom see y'all clowning. She's gonna cuss y'all out. You know what I'm saying? So like <laughs> but, it, but it was it was that was, like I say, that joke right there is one of those ones that just always reminds me. And I mean, I guess you gotta pull it out. But I'm gonna tell you this: for that joke to be that way, the way it is, was there ever a time that you did that joke up front? Like, like maybe the first or second joke? <laughs> uh yeah, it's been times like when I'm on a really I was on a really big show in Atlanta. Uh-huh. Uh, I think Ricky might have been hosting that show, and mm-hmm. um, you know, no, it was like I think it might, yeah, it was something like it was. I know it was definitely in Atlanta. And I think it might have been like the Brown Brothers or something like that. But yeah. I knew I had more, you know, ammo after. But I had a moment where I don't know somebody came in hot. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to go ahead and drop that in the middle of my set. Yeah, and, you know, just let me show y'all how this thing go, and boom. And then yeah, in fact, when uh, when COVID hit, I had a, yeah. a video of that particular show. And I, I put it on the loop, and I was running it on, uh, on Instagram Live, so people had something to laugh about. Laugh so people about, were right. in. I called it Saturday Night Lives or something like Saturday Night Lives, and, right. and everybody went on my live; they could watch that whole show. But definitely, I didn't always close with it because it, you know the joke. It's a good close if you're trying to get a standing over. If that was my goal, <laughs> not to wait, do that, and, I, and I, at least put y'all skates on and drop the mic. <laughs> Out. <laughs> yeah. But that's an easy out. You know what I'm saying? So I had right. I started challenging myself to follow that joke because the joke became such a signature piece and such a big piece that I was kind of relying on it and I wanted to see if I could follow it myself. That's and good. so I started, yes. Yeah, so I yes. started doing more jokes after it. And like y'all think this it, there's more to this this set. So yeah. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. I stopped doing it because people got so sensitive now 
politically, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing. But I think yeah. if I go on tour, the next, if when I go, when I go on a tour and it's in a venue or arena or a theater, I'm putting it back out at the club. It don't have as much impact as the stage. Well, smaller. yeah, the arena it does. Yeah, I, I, and, and yeah, and I don't like scuffing my shoes. Yeah. So you know, I, mean, I might have on some nice ones or something, and I like that joke. You gotta, you gotta, you know, scuff your shoe up. So that's hilarious. I, I mean, I the whole sensitivity thing in in the cancel culture. And things like that. We I had a conversation with another comedian friend of mine on IG last week or this this past Saturday, and what we talked about was I, I just don't feel like I would ever apologize for a joke. I just don't feel like I would have to. Like I tell people all the time, like I do a bit in my set, like at the very beginning, and it's like a overview of what are y'all about to see. Like I like give an overview, like what y'all about to see, and yeah. I also explain to them every joke ain't for you. It's not. Right. Every joke, I don't know y'all personally. I don't. I don't know your life. I don't know who you live with. I don't know the people mm-hmm. in your family. Every joke ain't for you. But don't be that person that come up to me after this damn show telling me what joke I don't need to do when you just laughed at that Asian joke, but you can't laugh at the Mexican joke. Stop it. Right. Right. Like, so, yeah. So, like, that whole, you need to apologize. Like, that joke wasn't for you. That joke was for everybody else that laughed. You see all them laughs you got at the bottom? You saw them smiley faces and giggles? That was for them. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like that's like that's and that's how I feel about it, man. I hate when comedians step out and apologize for jokes, and I also hate when other comedians criticize them for it. Well, here's my philosophy on that as mm-hmm. far as the jokes go. Um, when you tell a joke and it's sensitive to a group of people or a person's personal circumstances, it should be something that they can laugh at as well. So, okay. if, so if you're doing a, a joke about anybody from the LGBTQ, if it's not bashing them, but they can laugh at it, then they won't try to cancel you for it because it's funny. So I got I, I say this all the time. First of all, my shows, I say at the top of the show usually, especially when it's not just black people, to be honest. Right. Black <laughs> right. people don't right. come with you there with that sensitivity bullshit. Right. They know right. they're here to laugh. It's, this is a, a escapism. You know, none of this stuff is personal. And I wrote this joke before I got here. I don't, it, it, I don't know you. It ain't about you, like you said. Right, right. But um, I say this about the whole LGBTQ community because they're the strongest lobby that you guys really worry about out here when it comes to cancel culture. That's why I kept a hard at to, they want him to apologize to do apologize the Apologize for the thing, yeah. And we should be sensitive to their lifestyle, whatever. But I say, how can they not want you to be funny about that because they're the funniest people you know. Women, all most black women or anybody, any women, your gay friend is the funniest one in your clique. He always joking. I tell him, y'all get all y'all slang from gay, gay dudes. No woman came up with y'all's bitch. That's a yeah. gay dude. <laughs> y'all's bitch. Ain't no woman thought that's a gay dude. And how you doing? That's a yeah. gay dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a gay dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, and you know what, man? That's that's truth. I mean, that's straight up truth. And it's um, it that's that brings up a good point too because um, sometimes you have a white comedian say there's a double standard in comedy where black people can talk about racial things, but white people can't. I say that's not true. Because uh, I know plenty of white comedians that can talk about racial things. And I always tell white comedians, like younger white comedians that's trying to get past that hump to try to figure out how to bring up a topic. Right. You can talk about black people all you want. I was like, but it, it needs to be true. 
you cannot put your opinion in there. Don't tell your opinion because that's right. never going to work. It needs to be true. Whatever yeah. you say, if it's true, they're going to laugh with you. Period. If it ain't true, they ain't going to laugh. They're going to be like, man, yeah. that's his opinion. That shit ain't what we do. That ain't, what we, that ain't how we get down. You know and I mean? you got to watch how you present it, um, not only in the verbiage and how you word it, but make sure you don't over uh, compensate with your, your 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 diction and try to sound right, black. Trying to sound black and right, yeah, right. You know, because yeah, I think, yep. I and, think and that ain't about it. Ain't even about racism. It's about sensitivity. Where if you want them to laugh at the rest of your show, don't offend. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's amazing. Um, I think one of the best white comedians I heard tell a black joke was Bill Burr. Bill Bill Burr is one of the best white comedians, period. When Bill Burr said uh, he judged black people on how how clean they sneakers are. And I was like, what? I didn't even think about that shit, right? He said, yeah, black dude with clean sneakers, man. He said, they dude ain't messing with me. I was like, what? If a black guy come up with dirty sneakers, you know, because I know he about to rob you. That shit was so classic. And I was sitting there like, yo, how do you know that? But first of all, I don't even think that way because I'm not white. I was like, but that just gave a radar to every white person in America. Like, yo, they got clean sneakers on. Them dudes ain't worried about you. And yep. black black people in America. Because if, if you look back and you at the ATM and dude got some dusty shoes on, chances are he on some bullshit. <laughs> you know what? He's, he's down on his luck or he's coming from work. One or the other. <laughs> Start asking questions, right? Exactly. Yeah, Bill Other, he got another funny racially uh joke, uh racially charged joke about when he's because you know he's got a black wife, uh yeah. or he was, yeah. he was dating a black woman at the time. Uh-huh. Uh and he's like going to Harlem to see her. And he said the further right. he got up to Harlem, the more the more the blacker the street names got. And he said he had to start Googling like who is Marcus Garvey? Did he kill Who the hell is <laughs> who was, who was Adam Clayton Dallas on the floor rolling? <laughs> Bill, is, Bill is a beast. A very, a very much a beast, man. One of the favorite dudes, my favorite dudes I like to watch. And um, he's catching me up from cancel culture because he's so misogynistic. Yeah. And so, you know. But that's him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the, the part the part that I think people got to understand is um, comedians, most comedians really aren't about trying to get everyone involved they have a base audience and they they play to their base they play to their base the base is the base like i'm not here to they like i don't like i don't think he's funny like well i'm not for you i'm not sure you're not my base i mean yeah that's that's the key to it now if you are in some type of sitcom or Mm -hmm. television industry if you're an industry person now Mm -hmm. you got to worry about you got to serve your masters you know as far as who and what you can offend. Like Kevin right. Hart, you to be careful because even though he's independently wealthy, he, he made a point of a lot of people rely on him. So if he go down, he'll be fine. But all the people he employed and all his businesses, his endorsements and things of that nature, it affects other people. So he has to walk a fine line. Got to walk a fine line. And now I don't know if I want all that responsibility. You know what I mean? It's like... Uh... Cause I'm too quick at the mouth. Like I'll, I'll say some stuff and offend people and be like, I don't care. And everybody like, man, you, you just cost us our jobs. I'm like, Oh, my bad. You know, I don't want to be in that situation either. You know? So yeah, I don't want to be in that situation, but I ain't going to reject that income. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So, so you do, you do a live TV show in, in Chicago, right? The, uh, is the morning show. 
um, are you, you know, radio, you do radio. Are you still doing, are you with Ricky Smiley now that the um, Tom Jordan no. thing is over? Okay. No, I'm actually, uh, I do a, a, a local Cleveland based radio show, but it's heard nationally um, because it's on uh, Cleveland, WZAK Cleveland.com. Every Tuesday, it's, it's mm-hmm. live broadcast in Cleveland, in the Cleveland market and around Ohio, matter of fact, in Tri-State, Tri-City area. Um, it's called Damn What You Think. So it's sort of like what I was doing with Tom Joyner. Right, um, right, no, right. I didn't with Ricky because Ricky's team was already in place yeah. and he already got enough voices on that yeah. show. Yeah, You know, um, even though he said he probably didn't have a spot for me, but, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 I was with Tom. Tom is the, the top of the mountain. You know, I'm going to go out on top with Tom. Now, if I get my own opportunity, I'd rather be a part of a show that I am literally part of the team, you know, versus... Right you know, having a feature on somebody else's show. Uh, as far as the TV thing here in Chicago, I'm a contributor uh, to Windy City Live. And it's, a, right. it's, a, it's an afternoon TV talk show and it's Chicago-based, but, you know, I always post uh, stuff from it. So it's all, you know, it's, it's a body of work. I'm trying to touch every base, you know. Live TV, I have a series on this network. Uh, Urban Flix TV. TV. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's called Laugh Tonight with David Mills. Eight episodes of stand-up and sit-down interviews. Uh, and it was one of the, it was, I think it might be the first original program on that network. So they launched it when the network hadn't even caught on yet. Uh, but it's still available if, if people want to watch it, go on Urban Flix. Because they, they're bringing out new movies every week on Urban Flix. You know? And it's funny because they changed their, their philosophy. So Urban Flix had a, a tagline, redefining urban, when I came on board, which right. meant it wasn't just black. So my show reflects that it's a bunch of so wide variety of diverse comics from all walks of life. And they really, really were painstakingly meticulous on who I could put on the show because they wanted to represent so many demographics, which was a mistake in my, my looking back because you want to go feed your base. So my base would have been the people I know, you know, the Rob Stapletons and the Tony Roberts and, you know, people on the ride, man, and all that. By the guys I wanted to get on the show, I couldn't reach out to them because they wanted to fill a quota of certain things, LGBTQ, Asian, Hispanic, white, black, female. These were all the, the, the boxes we had to fill. So I'm right. not making a excuse. still a good show, but I, I would have done a different show because I would have played to my base. So in a, COVID shut down production for them. So an event we do the second season, you'll see it different because now all of their content is strictly black. There you go, that, yeah. They're, they're yeah. catering to the African-American community now. And I, when they say it, I'm like, y'all got a lot of nerve now. When I told y'all it was dumb as hell to be urban flicks and not be urban. And they right. say, you know, how you going to name yourself something and then spend money to advertise to tell people you're not that? Just be right. that or don't name yourself that. So that was the conflict with me. But it's a great show. It's eight uh, episodes. It's some great comics of all walks of life. They're all funny. It's yeah. just not my base. You know what I mean? Right, so, right, right. Uh, hopefully season two will be a little different when it comes to two effect, uh, but you can find, and it's only $3.99 a month or $40 for the whole year, but mm-hmm. for the whole platform. And oh, I tell, yeah. So I tell people all the time, you know, if $3.99 is, is a, putting a cramp in your budget, that's, that's a dollar a week. Then, then don't subscribe because ain't nothing funny to you. Ain't nothing we can do to make your ass laugh. If, if four quarters <laughs> are thrown off your budget this week, these jokes are not for you. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and so uh I, what i i do on the uh bliss is ignorant podcast if you ever watch the uh actor's studio with uh james lipton he would shoot questions off at the guest and okay. so i'm gonna shoot some questions off you tell me i remixed a little bit you tell me first thing to pop in your head so what's your favorite word bitch why you gotta say it like short <laughs> 
Uh, the day yeah. area. <laughs> now, you know what? Let me think of my favorite word. I'm trying to think of something I say a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, you ask your kids that question, they'll tell you in a minute. Yeah, but no, yeah. I, I don't have. I, don't, I can't say I have a favorite word. Uh-huh. But that's that's a good question because I, I'll be prepared if anybody ever asks me that again. What's your, okay? So if you don't have a favorite word, what's your least favorite word? <sighs> bitch. To be honest, <laughs> I hate when comics use the word "bitch" on stage in a room full of women, especially when they refer to women and all their references to women is the word is bitch. Bit, "bitch." Right. I feel yeah. you. I feel you on that. Um, because connected connectively. You can kind of say the same thing when you see a, a black comedian in an all-white mainstream room and they keep you ain't saying nigga. And you just like, dude, is this is this going somewhere? Or like yeah. or is it, are you just your normal normal conversation? Because if it's your normal conversation, you make an area that all them uncomfortable. This is not right. how they talk. So why are you talking that way? Yeah, oh, that's real. Well, you're keeping it real separative right now. So yeah. it's like the same those thing are, with bitch. Yeah, same thing with those bitch. Those are my two pet peeves with comics. I, I tell them all the time when they come to the room, man. Like we do Martha's Vineyard. We were doing mm-hmm. Martha's Vineyard. And my buddy, uh, the partner, the promoter of that show, he has a rule. No ho, no bitch, no nigga. He has a t-shirt made. You're not going to say hoes. You're not going to say bitch. You're not going to say nigga. And I know that as a people, we have a vernacular amongst ourselves. But even if it ain't even white people there, you, you shouldn't be referring to each other as nigga all the time throughout your set. That's yeah. It, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. So those right. are my two. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I have a, a slogan behind me, TTBS. And TTBS stands for anything and everything you absolutely no control over your life. It basically means that's that bullshit. So. Yeah. And in, in your in your mind frame, what is TTBS to you? Like, what's that bullshit when you see it? Like, that's that bullshit. Uh, when brothers are bogus to, to females, to women, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's that bullshit. Uh, yeah. When dudes don't take care of their kids, that's right. that bullshit. Right, right, right. Um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you're not family oriented, you know, that's that bullshit. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Got you. Uh, the opposite of that is the shit. So what's the shit to you? Hey, uh, honoring your, your parents and your and your moms and your, your your relationships and your family and doing what's right. Take care of your kids, providing for your household, giving others opportunity. That's <laughs> we, the shit. Yeah, we talked about that the other day. You you had your dad. You had to get some stuff done with your dad, get him something to eat. I was in the yeah. same boat. I was like, y'all got to go get my mom her, her dinner and her medicine before she go to bed. You know, <laughs> it's like that yeah. whole, that whole process or whatever. Those things you got to get take care of or yeah. whatever. So yep. I got it when you was like, yo, I ain't gonna be able to make it back in time. I'm like, dude, do your thing, man. Or we'll, yes, we'll make some time somewhere. And we were able to do that. So I do appreciate right. the time. Um, another question is uh if 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 no one who knew who you were, which is very hard to say, but if no one knew who you were and I had to introduce you to the world, what's your walk on music? Lovely day, Bill Withers. Oh, no, no doubt, no doubt. Rest in peace to Bill Withers too. Yeah. Um, all, all right. And if uh, you said, "Look, I'm 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 hanging up my microphone, man. I'm calling it a day. I'm retiring from the game. What will be your walk off music?" Hmm. That's 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 a pretty dope question. Um, yeah. Lovely day, Billy Williams. No, <laughs> uh, no, I might do something like um like Biggie's uh. Juicy, it was all a dream. It was all the oh, that's dope. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a different way to think of it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, that's that's dope. That's dope. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if someone had told you in 1991 
that you was going to be a stand-up comedian and this was what you was going to primarily do, would you have believed him at that day? Uh, in 91, possibly, because uh, yeah. from, from 85 to 89, from the time I saw Delirious and when right. 48, hours, and 48 Hours came out, right. I started purposely exploring humor. You know, I always okay. loved it. I always watched comedians, even when I was a child. I'd watch, you know, right. when they came on, like, The Tonight Show and stuff like that. Right. And so I was real conscious of comedy. But when I worked at City Hall, I kind of emulated him because my nickname was Eddie because people thought I was funny. So they, this one lady started calling me Eddie. She never, and it, it went around. That became my nickname around the building. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I would have said, yeah. Really I, like, I, I, I can see I that. Never, yeah. I don't think I would have tried it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I... But I, I could I could see that being feasible. No doubt, no doubt. Um, and then if you if you weren't doing comedy, if you didn't do comedy, what do you think you would have your hand in? What do you think you I would probably, be doing? You know, the reason why my subway was not successful is because it was a franchise and they had rules and regulations that I had to adhere to, and they mm -hmm. couldn't compete with the you know the massive sandwiches in downtown Chicago that I was up against. You know, so I would probably I definitely be in an entrepreneurial space. Uh, I might have opened my own chain of, of sandwich shops yeah. uh, or, you know, got into a different franchise, but I would have been uh, in an entrepreneurial space for sure. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Man, hey, listen, man, um, the fact that I, I've never had an opportunity to meet you in person. Um, I have seen you work, uh, but this was before I got into comedy. Uh, I've seen you work in Charlotte uh, and I've seen you in uh, Philly. Um, okay. Um, from originally from South Jersey, but I moved to Charlotte. I've been living in Charlotte. That's where I raised my kids and everything. I went to college down here. But uh, the fact that I would reach out to you, you was like, yeah, no doubt. I'll do your podcast. Means a lot. It absolutely means a lot. I've, I've done a number of episodes with people you work with for years. Um, and I know them personally, but I was like, I got to get him on because I like talking to people that had an impact on me and me wanting to do what I do now. So big ups to you, man. And I do appreciate the time and the fact that you were like, yes, because you know how many people be like, I don't know you, I ain't doing it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> well, you know, uh, I mean, I want to, I had a, a little talk show segment sort of like this that I was doing myself, I was trying to do uh, mm -hmm. during COVID. And I, and I understand what it's like to try to get guests. But more importantly, uh, these podcasts will be around forever. And, you know, at this point, I've established myself as a stand-up, but my legacy, I wanted to be told from my own words. What made me think about that is my son was, was doing a research on Fred Hampton, and he said there's literally only about two hours of footage that exists in the world on that brother. Wow. So for him, you know, it might be audio around, but it's less than two hours of actual footage of him, you know, doing his thing. So, um, you know, this is, you know, this basically is my way of documenting my legacy by answering these questions. Plus, I like, you know, I'm always been a, a way maker and a, try to be a provider. So if somebody's on the way up, and you never know, five years from now, you might be Joe Rogan. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> I did podcast early in, so now you'll have me back, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not doing it for the opportunity. I just think we should do this. This is what we're supposed to do. I've always yeah. been a networker in the game. And if we don't, if we don't do this for each other, then who's gonna do it for us? Who's gonna that do it for us, man? Dude, that's that let's listen on that note, man. That is exactly uh, the words I would love to hear, man. And I wish more brothers thought that way uh, instead of thinking it's just an inconvenience. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I do appreciate the time, man. And I know you got another interview to do. So I'm glad yeah. you got to squeeze me in. And listen, I hope you can, I can have you back, man. So 
We're going to work sure. it that way, man. And uh, yeah. big ups to you, man. And I'll have you back as well when I get mine back up and running. The Damon Williams check-in. I got four episodes up on YouTube right now. Everything else I'm doing is on DamonWilliamsComedy.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go, uh, you know, stretch my muscles and relax and, and take off this logo because I know they ain't going to let me wear it on Fox. But I'm about to do uh, <laughs> Leon Rogers later with Leon on Fox Soul, which will be live tonight. And it'll be up by the time you post this. People can go on FoxSoul.tv and find it all on YouTube. No doubt, man. Hey, man, thanks again, man. Big ups to you, man. Hopefully the earth is opening all the way back up, man, and I can see you uh, back on the road, and hopefully I can get back on the road with my damn self. Yeah, you. we have you come to Chicago with Riddles, man. No doubt, man. No doubt. Looking right. forward to it. Respect. Peace, man. Later.